Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to the New Books Network. Confounding, exhilarating, and contagious. Emotions matter, and so does applying emotional intelligence. Welcome to Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight, the podcast where emotions rule. Whatever the topic, how do hearts and minds collide? Find out with your host, a college professor turned globetrotting EQ entrepreneur. His mission? Each week, Dan joins prominent authors in decoding how emotions drive outcomes and make people tick. Now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 141st episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is leading with empathy in your storytelling. I'm joined by Miri Rodriguez. She is the author of Brand Storytelling, Put Customers at the Heart of Your Brand Story. The publisher is Kogan Page. Miri is a senior storyteller for health and public sector industries at Microsoft. She also moonlights with her own consulting firm. Clients have included Adobe, Discover, Walmart, and McKeeson, among others. Welcome to the show, Miri. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank, for, thank you for so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. Absolutely. So um, let's plunge right in. You mentioned, and I, I have a PhD in English, so I have plenty of interest in storytelling, I promise you. <laughs> um, you mentioned that uh, there are three basic elements from your point of view on storytelling, mm-hmm. character, plot, and conclusion. So my, my first question is yeah. plot and conclusion. I would think that to some people that might sound like the same thing, but clearly for you, they're not. Can you elaborate a bit? Yeah, no, they're not. Uh, in fact, uh, a story really has these three basic elements. It's, it won't cost, constitute a story if it doesn't have these elements, the character or characters, uh, people that are basically uh, or, or entities that are uh, allowing for the story to unfold and what whoever they are and whatever they're doing. And then you have, of course, the plot, uh, which is the rising action, that climax and the falling action of those characters that are playing into the story. And the conclusion, the conclusion really is, uh, you know, the the last piece of that, after the falling action, whatever happened and how it unfolded, there is a wrap up of the story. There's a moral of the story. There's a learning. There's a lesson. There's something you leave the audience with. And that is, that is the conclusion. So those are the three basic elements. They're not mine. They're just how I (laughs) look and and, and think about story. And I, I do believe that it doesn't have, if you don't have those three elements, it's really not a story. So do we would we also sometimes think of conclusion in a business sense as uh, what the value proposition proved to be? Is that the the learning or the moral or is it really something different than that? It could be, uh, but not all the time. And it really depends on what kind of story you're telling. So when you're thinking about a business story, um, there are so many ways that you can conclude a story. Uh, different, you know, When we think about brand storytelling or business storytelling, there's really two things that define this. In essence, there, there's the main narrative of a brand and a business story. And that is the, you know, the beginning of the story, the origin of the brand story, where it was born, what it's doing, how it's evolving, where it's going, its core values, basically 
the story of the entity of the brand, which never ends because the brand continues to evolve, right? It has friends, it has foes, it has market share and all the things uh, around uh, the business. Unless, unless there's bankruptcy, of course, in which case it might And end. then it dies, you know, just like all of us, we're going <laughs> to die one day. So it's the end of that entity, which is okay. There's always a fun, you know, we're all finite in this space. And so, uh, at least in this space. And so, yeah, and, and that is the brand story. And then there, there is the evolution of the story, which is being told from many different aspects of a brand, right? So you have functions, you have um, finance, you have um, sales, you have operations, you have customer service. Each of those functional areas or, or really verticals of a business is telling their own story. And they're, they're telling the story from their perspective to their uh, audiences and how that's playing out to align to the main narrative, the core values of the brand, the mission of the brand. So in terms of conclusion, yeah, it can be a call to action. It can invite someone to do something or it can be informative or it can, it can leave someone with just inspiration to say, hey, you know, this is what we're about and this is why, period. It could be for product marketing. It could be for marketing in general. It is not marketing, by the way. A lot of people will confuse storytelling with marketing. It isn't. It can be used as a tool for marketing, but it's much more than that. Sure. So um, given my interest in stories, I guess the other element I would have thought about is uh, story setting. And I mean that in several ways. One is if it's a business story, uh, where and how one is encountering the brand. Uh, Then from brand building, I I think of instances like Ralph Lauren, who always seems to be trafficking in kind of a neo-Great Gatsby sort of setting or (laughs) Marlboro with the the cowboy country Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so that that's at least two ways in which I could think of story setting as being awfully integral. Um, where does story setting fit into the picture? Yeah, so I actually delineate story setting, not as part of the elements, but as part of the structure of story. So when I break down story, I, I see this three pieces, right? You have the elements of story, character, plot, conclusion. Then you have the, el- the you have the structure of the story, how the story is going to unfold. And that's where you have the exposition, which is the setting that you're talking about, the rising action, the, the climax, the falling action, and the conclusion. So all of that kind of comes together from a structure perspective. And then you have the formatting, uh, what makes up the story, how it goes to market, where the visual elements elements of that, of that, you know, of how you're going to deliver that story. Will it be a blog? Will it be a video? Will it be, uh, you know, in pictures, however you decide to deliver that. So for me, setting absolutely has a space and a place. But when in my book, I really talk about that, that breakdown of you define the character, the plot, the conclusion, and the plot does include obviously the setting, but then you really get down to that setting, that exposition. And that's where it plays a lot of part of you designing the story more than just thinking about holistically what the story looks like. Okay. And uh, since you're kind of speaking my language often, you you do celebrate the importance of emotion and that stories conjure emotion and obviously emotion uh, can induce action. So you mentioned, uh, you know, six pretty commonly accepted uh, core emotions, happiness and surprise and sadness and anger and Mm -hmm. so forth, um, disgust and fear. So I, I can see pretty easily if one's building out a brand based on happiness that, you know, occurs all the time. You mentioned in your book, obviously, uh, you know, Disney Company and yeah. uh, Happiest Place on Earth. But I would think it gets a little bit more perplexing in some cases for for the outside listener here to imagine or understand how you're going to build a brand on, say, an emotion like disgust or anger. Can you <laughs> give me an instance of how those might work? And I'm not saying it's wrong. Yeah. It's, it's, it's intriguing, but I, yeah. but since it is intriguing, can you maybe uh, suggest how this might work? I can't, I can't, you know, so it's interesting. It's building the brand itself on, on in human emotion. It's really going to go through, you know, if you're really authentic in your brand storytelling, you're going to, you're going to navigate 
all of the emotions, because if you're humanizing your brand, you're not going to be happy all the time. We're not always happy. I, hope, I wish we were all, but we're not. And so it is this, it is this idea that the human, the humanity in us and, and the humanity in the brand, it's going to go through uh, moments and spaces and places of not always happiness and not always joy. And so that aligns with the authenticity of the brand. And there are brands that have absolutely created a space. I mean, you think about, uh, you know, sarcasm and humor, uh, Wendy's as a brand, for example, and, and on Twitter, thinking about how they, the, their tone and the voice and how, how they respond to, to uh, you know, people and audiences. So the, the brand kind of evolves in their, their own voice, not to say that that's the story, but it aligns to, and it builds the narrative in general. So these, these moments and these tones and voices and personality of the brand obviously are part of the brand story. And when you humanize the brand, you are exposing the brand to, and you should be exposing the brand to all the human emotions. So let's take 2020 and let's take uh, a lockdown and all the things that happened for all of us at the human level uh, and as a human race, you know, globally. I, I consulted with brands, young and old, big and small, uh, from many different sectors, calling me and saying, what do I do, Amiri? What, what, what do we do now? How do we talk? Do we even say anything? People are dying. Right. Yep. Uh, and so so that was a moment where I sat and I was I was thinking, I was like, wow, how interesting is this that nobody knows what to do in a moment so dire. And we're all in this. We're all in this together. We're navigating this together, not knowing what to do. And that was a pivotal moment for brands to really understand that we were beyond the space of selling and marketing, but we were human. And the brand was human because the people behind the brand were human. And so there is always an opportunity to be sad with when something sad happens and that's okay. And if the brand aligns to that, uh, especially in, in a community setting or when a social setting, which we're seeing more and more, those emotions align, right? And there's, and there's empathy, which is what I talk about. I call it encoding empathy in your writing and in your story, uh, leading with empathy because we're all human in the end. So the brand as an entity, is, it's made of humans who are going through human emotions. Um, I, I'm probably going to go back to that, but I'm going to run with a couple of things. One is, you know, you talk about putting the customers at the heart of the story. Yeah. Uh, I remember seeing once a diagram that said, when you're a really small company, it's easy to do that because there's kind of no insulation and, uh, you know, it's, it's very immediate. You're trying to get these customers to stay alive. Yeah. But as you get to be a big company, uh, inevitably the bureaucracy builds up and it's quite easily to imagine that uh, a rival VP is as central to your life because you're trying to best this person and grab turf inside mm -hmm. the company uh, <laughs> that you get this internal dynamic that can distract you from the customer. So have you had instances both maybe at Microsoft uh, within certain divisions or maybe say, more safely uh, examples from your client work where mm -hmm. you can see that there's really a struggle to indeed put the customer at the heart of the story? There's always, always a struggle. And I would say I'm also an owner of a small company. And even at the small level, I, I have issues keeping that truth and maintaining that truth for my very small company. And because we get involved in not just the bureaucracy, but the day-to-day, -day, the operations, which take yep. up so much. So there's so much involved. And, and you know, I do talk in my book about this example that Satya uh, Nadella, CEO at Microsoft, when he came on board and he talked about you know, himself, his story about not being empathetic and how that impacted his career. And ultimately, he had to really think about becoming an empath, which I, until I read his book about it, 
I didn't know you could do that. I thought it was a you know, personality trait. You were, you were, you were either an empath or you weren't. And I, at the time I wasn't, um, you would know, it's really about making that choice every day and physically bringing the chair, the customer chair in. I talk about it in the book because I'm like, if you bring the chair in, you you imagine your customer there, how will your conversations go? How would your emails go when you really, really t- train your brain, if you will, to make sure that the customer is being included in, and considered in every one of your internal conversations with cross-functional teams, for example? It changes. So is, so is there a good exercise then that you found to, you know, break or change the mental habits of someone who, uh, you know, a company leader who might be, I guess I will say, very egocentric as opposed to <laughs> yeah. customer-centric? Yeah, I would, I would ask, I would, it's always about asking questions and being curious. What do you think your customer would say to this? If the customer was here, would you say something different? Would you answer differently? Would you think about this solution differently? If your main customer was threatening to, you know, pull the account, you know, what would you do next? If that was your, you know, if if, if, would you change your outcome or you would you change your decision? Uh, Really bringing the customer to be a part of the conversation and really the center of the conversation and storytelling and putting your heart, you know, your customer at the center of your story is because a lot of times we think our brand story or our business story is about our business. It is and it isn't because our business is about our customers. And so it's really reminding ourselves with empathy every single day, training ourselves with vocabulary, training ourselves with actions, reminding ourselves and asking ourselves if the customer was here, if he was part of this email, if it was CC'd in this email, how different would this email look? And it really does help make you pause for a moment and, and you know reflect. Okay. So I'm very much on your side, but let me pose maybe not devil's advocate, but um, <laughs> I, I have to imagine there are people you're going to run up against uh, in clients in Microsoft, wherever, who would say, well, storytelling emotions sounds kind of frou-frou to me. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, how do you um, beat that back? Uh, you know, I, 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 at Microsoft, I've done this in the engineering space, and I love engineers, and they are the heart of our, our technology. And my, my father was an engineer. Thank eventually. God for engineers. My yeah. son is an engineer. My father is also an engineer. So I love them. Love them to death. However, uh, they are exactly those people that are, you know, not keen to be in t- being in touch with their emotions. They are very pragmatic, as you know, and that's beautiful. It's part of who they are. Uh, and to them, the story, you know, their works is the story, the technology or the solution they provide and they create is the story. And so, yeah, I had to contend with that, those people and, and come come in and come in curious. And this is what I did. And it was really powerful because I, I did have a hard time. I, I probably struggled for, for, for months to try to break a story with an engineer about the why, about the how, uh, how important and why it was important to build that technology for them personally, uh, they don't want to get personal. And so uh, it, it took me a little while. And as I started really thinking about their individual journey, it's when I realized, wow, it's really, in, in, you know, it, it's really important to understand how they are evolving their, their themselves, their actual personal origin stories in a fast paced world of technology that is changing so rapidly. And their jobs are changing so rapidly, right? We Up until a few years ago, we didn't have cloud engineers because the cloud didn't exist. And so their jobs were not bad. They didn't sign up for this. And so coming in with that uh, sympathy and that empathy really played well for me when I asked those questions of, hey, how is this working out for you? Why are you still here? How, why are you deciding to evolve along with this new technology that is really advancing more rapidly than we, we can 
feel and take a hold of. And so the answers became more personalized and more human. And that's where the emotions came in. Sure. Well, when they're in fields where there's hard knowledge, technology, engineering, et cetera, there is that that uh, concern about being obsolete. So mm-hmm. did that ever lead to a campaign that you might have worked on or a brand build out for some particular product line that was trying to uh, acknowledge and also assuage fear? It did. It actually led to a six-part series. It was supposed to be just a quick interview, and it led to a six-part series uh, on operationalizing the cloud, is what we called it, with uh, the head cloud engineer, uh, cloud operations engineer uh, at Microsoft, where he decided to open up and talk about what we call the, the you know the bumps and bruises of going to the cloud, and he actually co-wrote a lot of the content where he was explaining his own experience of feeling inadequate, feeling you know like he didn't know where he was going next, but kind of sticking around and seeing what would happen uh, in this new world. And so it, it was really fascinating to watch. Uh, it was really funny because one of the series, you know, the more that we evolved the series and the more excited he got about it, he got, he got talking about it. Uh, one of them was, we, I said, you know, he talked about mapping things out, mapping yourself out. And I said, why don't we dress you up as a cartographer for the interview? And so he showed up dressed up as a cartographer and he had maps, you know, so we did a whole, uh, a, a, you know, kind of set up and, talking about setting it was beautiful and so i really enjoyed watching that um that openness and of heart when you really you know when you allow the space for people to tell their stories from their perspective and that's truly at the end of the day uh the magic of story no no i, I like that example a lot um i want to go one other place before we run out of time i'm thinking yeah. about what i might call the, the the story status we i think we both know that there are some brands that to my mind just don't have a story Mm-mm. They are very undifferentiated. So using your toolkit, yeah. how would you conquer or help out a brand that is in that position? Yeah, I would first you know, encourage the brand to, to and inform them that in today's world, in today's connected, agile, digital, you know, high tech world, the stories are the things that are going to get through your audience. It's 22 times more memorable than any piece of information you'll share if it's done well in a story form versus data information alone. So there's so many benefits to telling a story, to sharing, uh, you know, all you have to share the information, the uh, content, the context with your audiences uh, through story. And so, you know, if you're struggling with where to start or why should I even do this? uh, The why is that is that you have this grand opportunity to align your values, to, uh, to share your ideas, to share where you're going and where the brand is going with your audiences in a way that's going to be sticky and memorable. And, and, and the how is really starting with your mission. Does your mission and your mission statement for your business make, business make sense today? And I often ask, does that mission have an emotion attached to it? And I give the example of Microsoft because, you know, for so many years we were, our mission was to put a PC on every desk in every home. That was very product driven and it was, you know, very pragmatic uh, as a brand. And we did it. It's fine. We did. But once we started to really change our culture, uh, thanks to our new CEO, Satya, you know, our, our mission changed. It became to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. And power is that word. Empower 
power. We all know what it feels like or not to be empowered. And so it's a feeling. So I often ask, does your brand have a feeling that you can quantify for your audience? Say, this is what we do. We exist to blank. We exist to empower, to inspire, to educate, whatever that, that feeling may be. And that is the story. That's where you you can emanate. That is where it emanates from, that feeling. Again, it's it's that transfer of emotion, right? Uh, so so once you have that feeling attached to your brand that you that you can really align, then you have stories to tell forever uh, because you're going to have you know the material to create around this feeling. Sure. Well, Saudi does strike me from watching video and interviews as quite capable of uh, empathy. I'm not sure I would have believed the same of Steve Ballmer, but I could be dead wrong. Uh, I never <laughs> never met him in person. Um, what happens if your your story is confusing, as in it, it's very inconsistent? How how would you tackle that problem for a client? Yeah, you know, again, back to that story structure. There's there's two two things, two lines or storylines, if you will. There's the consistent story of your brand that is being told always. You will never run out of content because you're going to always be telling your audience what your brand is doing, where it's going, how it's getting there. That's keeping your brand, you know, your audience informed, keeping your audience and your brand top of mind in their hearts and minds. So that's always that. There's always a space for that in communications, marketing, and sales. That's always happening. Uh, but then if it's inconsistent coming from different, let's say, audiences or different storytellers within the brand, it is uh, an opportunity for internally to to really create that that um, integration of story. The way that it worked at Microsoft, there's a team actually that we have. So we have about 4,000 storytellers worldwide at Microsoft. So it's a big group. We have a community. We have a community lead. We meet once a month. Uh, we to get together once a year. We are always connected through our team's channel. So there's a social connection aspect where we are bouncing each other ideas off of each other and we are always connected. So create that community and ensure the messages that are being told are cohesive, that they actually align back to that the core values, back to the mission, uh, that, that you will never go wrong because that's your North Star. So if everybody's talking about the mission, everybody's aligned. If everybody's talking about the core values, every, every, you know, there's no inconsistency. There is differences in messaging. Of course there is because you have different audiences. I mean, at Microsoft, we serve a 12-year-old Xbox player and a 50-year-old cloud engineer, right? So, But the empower word works for both. And so that's where that messaging comes in and aligns uh, to that emotion that you want to drive. So it is the job of communicators internally uh, and leadership to uh, should make it their job to make sure it is consistent, that there's a community uh, and that these are being aligned from the top down. Okay. Maybe one last question before you got into storytelling, if I understand correctly from your book, yeah. uh, you were a lead for social media support channels. Yes. So obviously that's a new element that's bubbled up in the last uh, 10 to 15 years in the marketing realm. Uh, I know it's not uh, you know necessarily tied into your book directly, but I, I imagine you must have had some uh, seminal insights from that experience that probably help inform your approach to storytelling. 100%. A lot of it, actually. Uh, when I was leading, I was leading uh, Twitter, Facebook forums. Uh, at the time, we were actually have, had one of the bigger launches, Windows 10, uh, Windows 8, and then Windows 10. And, and I was leading it for global English, Spanish, and Portuguese. So all of the languages covering, uh, you know, Latin America and Europe that spoke those languages. So it, there was so much, so much that I learned uh Related to storytelling, storytelling wasn't even mentioned back then. We didn't even have storytelling, if you will, but we're always telling a story. And so I learned so much about 
how our customers see us, because when you're supporting the channels, you're not on the brand side, you're not on the fun, you know, fluffy and, you know, inspirational side, you're basically, you know, a customer support. You're, it's like, you're the hotline, you're the 800 number on, you know, on these channels and everything is public. You know, if somebody's complaining about your brand, everybody can see it and it can go viral and it does for all the reasons. And so uh, this really taught me that mainly that you're telling a story, but your customers are also telling a story about your brand. And so there's there's another part of that storytelling that you have to kind of guard and protect and make sure that it's aligned. Because if you're talking about your brand being inclusive, yet an employee, you know, tweets that it's not and why, uh, and, and they're right, uh, then, you know, it's a public, it's a public story now. And so uh, there is that, that responsibility that we have to have as leaders as well, to make sure that our customers, this is why there's, you know, they're in the center, that they're actually telling the stories that we want because they're happy. And so that's, you know, it's definitely part of the consideration that we have to make. It's not just us creating content for content's sake. Sure. Well, it sounds like that would be a, a good place for those who in the company would think emotions are a big part of business. They could, uh, you know, catch a few of those social media postings and see that there's emotions going on. A lot of emotions. Yeah, a lot. You better, yeah. And you better deal with it. So anyway, I want to thank you, Miri, so much for your time, you. for being my guest on Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. This has been episode 141, Leading with Empathy in Your Storytelling. Uh, Miri Rodriguez is the author of Brand Storytelling, Put Customers at the Heart of Your Brand Story. If you enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating and review on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an appropriate epigram. An obvious one in this case was from Seth Godin, who said, marketing is no longer about the stuff you make, but about the stories you tell. Until next time, take care and be well. Mm